When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. On 9-11, our nation made a commitment to never forget. Since then, it's been the Tunnel to Towers Foundation honoring those words with action. So many people gave their lives while saving others on 9-11. Tunnel to Towers carries forward that legacy of courage and heroism by honoring our country's military and first responder heroes, people who are willing to die for you and me. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. What is going on, Billy Up Sports fam? It's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, here at another edition of FN Sports, the podcast where teachers grade sports' biggest issues. Today, we've got some gold stars, some detentions, a few theses, and an explanation of our big announcement from last week, including a little bit of an announcement for this week. But before we get too far, let's jump in with our first gold star. First gold star goes to photographer Jordan Jimenez, at underscore Jordan Jimenez, J-I-M-E-N-E-Z on Twitter, for catching the perfect picture of Steph Curry. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, there was a picture from this weekend's game between the Golden State Warriors and the Chicago Bulls, in which Steph Curry has launched a three, turned to the crowd to taunt them, and is pointing at them while the ball is clearly, as the picture will show, in mid-flight. The funniest part of this picture to me, though, is not Steph Curry's face, not the crowd's face, but the face of one DeMar DeRozan boxing out under the bin, under the basket. You see people on the Warriors bench behind him that are very much holding their hands up with threes. They know it's in. He knows it's in, and his face tells the whole story. We don't often get to shout out photographers, but Jordan Jimenez got the great, great shot. I'm not sure there's another shot like that quite across the Warriors Nation landscape. Shout out to Jordan Jimenez for a great picture. Second gold star goes to the U.S. men's national soccer team for a big, big win over Mexico Friday night. Yes, a big, big win over Mexico. I know it's the third win over Mexico in a year, but this was a must 
have game over Mexico in the World Cup qualifying. This really, really eases tensions and pressure over the rest of the course of the way. The U.S. men's national team sat in pole position the whole time. They were really in control of the game from start to finish. It looked like from the outset that it was just a matter of when the goal would come, not if. And then they ended up with two. So shout out to U.S. men's national team for dos a cero. Last gold star really gets split between Gonzaga and Kansas for ruining my Texas Longhorns weekend. First of the half of this gold star is going to go to Gonzaga for a big, big win in basketball. Gonzaga is number one ranked team in the country. Texas came in as the number five team. Texas went to Gonzaga and lost. I guess it ended up being closer to a dozen, but Gonzaga had complete control of the game throughout. Drew Timmy had big, big moments. He had 37 points on 19 shots, and I don't think that is emblematic enough of how much he dominated the basketball game. He really did whatever he wanted. Now, obviously, Gonzaga has size that Texas does not. Texas tried a handful of different things to work against Timmy and Chet Holmgren, but it didn't matter. The Gonzaga Bulldogs really, really dominated that game from start to finish. So shout out Gonzaga for a big, big win. Shout out to Kansas for the other half of this gold star and their first win in Austin since, oh, first win in Austin ever. The first time the Kansas Jayhawks have ever beaten the University of Texas in Austin. It's also worth noting that in 2016, they beat the Texas Longhorns in Kansas. And in 2019, they almost beat the Texas Longhorns and probably should have beaten the Texas Longhorns in Austin. That game Kansas scored what they thought was the game-winning field goal, only to come back down and watch Texas win on a game-winning field goal in the final seconds. Shout out to Kansas for finally doing that, even if it did ruin my Texas Longhorn weekend. Which leads me into my first detention. This detention goes to Texas Athletics for not showing up in a big, big spot in basketball and for not showing up at all in what shouldn't have been too big a spot, but ended up being a fairly big spot in football. Now, I understand that it's hard to play the number one team in the country on the road and that this basketball team has a lot of transfers. Chris Beard is a good coach, and those transfers will get better, I'm sure. It's their first real tough competition playing together. But man, there was just a lot of miscommunications, it appeared, and lack of rotations on defense, which is not a Beard staple. It was not a great showing for the first time that Texas basketball team is on national TV. And the real shame for that Texas basketball team is they don't really have another shot. They play Stanford at a neutral site. But other than that, their next highest ranked pre-conference game is Seton Hall. They really don't have a lot of these games to add to their resume. And it felt like they wasted one. It's one thing to lose to Gonzaga when they're number one ranked on the road and probably have their number one prospect for next year's NBA draft. But to get dominated from start to finish is not the same thing. And that's what Texas ended up doing. I actually previewed that game last week, if you've been following us on Twitter, with Andy Patton of the Locked on Zags podcast. We broke the whole thing down. And I knew that the size was going to be a problem. I had no idea that that was what Texas was in for. It wasn't just the size. It was the footwork, the craftiness, the inability to find guys like Drew Timmy or Nembard or whomever, right? That was bad, bad defense out of Texas. Speaking of bad defense, how about a Texas defense that in football gives up 57 points to 
Kansas. I'm not going to go to Vegas and gamble on a bunch of things, but I'd imagine Chris Beard would not be happy with 57 points allowed to Kansas in the basketball game later this year, right? That's a lot of points to a not-so-great offense that Texas gave up and lost. Lost to the Kansas Jayhawks. Yes, in football. Yes, in football, the same football that Texas prides itself on as a state. The state university lost to Kansas in football. Now, I could go in and out a bunch of things and how soft this team is here or how weak this was there or whatever and how they don't have a quarterback because they have two quarterbacks and that means you don't have one and, da, 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 and all those kinds of things. But I think what's disappointing about Texas is they've got a number of pros on the team. They really do. If you're watching the NFL in three or four years, there will be several people in the league from this Texas team. Obviously, B. John Robinson going down hurt. But I imagine you'll also see Roshan Johnson and some degree on the field. I imagine you'll see Xavier Worthy at some degree on the field somewhere on Sundays. Texas can't pull it together. This is their first ever five-game losing streak, their first ever loss to Kansas at home, and I thought there was something to this idea that third time's a charm in firing and hiring football coaches. Clearly, that's not the case. Maybe at some point, Texas Athletics will look a little bit deeper to the cultural problems. It seems like when a lot of money came into the program in the late aughts, something started to go downhill. I don't know if necessarily can draw too many parallels there, but man, the timeline sure seems funky and might be worth investigating if anyone cared about winning. Maybe it's more about the money anyway. Second attention goes to Steve Levy from last Monday night's football game, Pittsburgh Steelers against Chicago Bears, for saying that Najee Harris slept on the floor in college while at Alabama. Now, Najee Harris does have a tremendous story as a foster kid with a wild upbringing, and how he maintains his radiant smile every day is incredible, right? He's a genuinely good person from incredibly difficult circumstances that has made it to the NFL and it has immediately begun giving back, starting with draft night at his original foster care center where he was bringing the press to him to show them the kinds of situations he was living in. That said, Najee Harris at Alabama would have been treated like any other Alabama scholarship player. To assume that he was then sleeping on the floor with no background checking at all seems rather rash. And I do love that Najee Harris very quickly was like, man, I didn't sleep on the floor. I slept on my bed. Like It was really, really fast to be like, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. I slept on my bed in college. So shout out to Najee Harris for correcting him. But this detention goes to Steve Levy for, frankly, making an unnecessary assumption. Like, there's so many other things about Najee Harris's life that would have pointed to how hard he had growing up. Why make any up? Why make something up? Detention, Steve Levy. Third and final detention for the week goes to Nike. Yes, Nike, the same brand that makes so many of the sneakers sitting behind me as I record. We're giving a detention to Nike for making the Kobe Bryant sneaker line so scarce that even NBA players can't find them. Numerous reports cite players like Anthony Davis and others saying they can't get their hands on Nike Kobe sneakers. Davis does point out that he wears a size 17 and that's difficult to come by, but Nike has flat out botched this. They went with rare limited releases in the wake of his death in an effort to try and make money and capitalize. And in doing that, they upset the Bryant family and 
essentially ended their own contract, meaning they cannot make any more. So the same scarce product that was out there on purpose from them is now the last remaining source of it. The Bryants are not working with Nike anymore. It upset Vanessa Bryant so much, she went back and made a string of her own Mamba-themed sweatshirts just to sell some to people that she knows supported Kobe and that Kobe supported. I can't believe Nike botched this in this way, but it's just the way things are going. Nike has decided to make things like $100 pairs of dunks so exclusive and so rare that they're selling on things like the resale market on StockX or Goat App or eBay or wherever for triple and quadruple the price. Of course, once they do that to a name brand of a guy that enjoyed seeing his sneakers on everyone's feet, that's going to upset the family. The whole deal with Kobe was he wanted to have his sneakers like Jordan. He wanted everyone to have Kobe's on their feet when they played. And if Nike hadn't botched this, they might. I, I just can't believe Nike's done this. I can't believe I'm hearing guys like Devin Booker, P.J. Tucker, and DeMar DeRozan Feel bad for other NBA players. Like, I can't give them my sneaker because I don't know if I'm ever going to get these back, right? I don't know if I'm ever going to get another pair of these. I can't give out these sneakers even though I've worn them a bunch and I don't need to wear that. If you have guys like P.J. Tucker, who has as many shoes as he does, say he can't give away a pair of Kobe's, you got a problem, right? Like, he is willing to give out anything. Odell Beckham Jr., and all the reporting that we'll talk more about him later, has been willing to give out anything he wants to Rooks. And he won't give away Kobe's. There's a problem here with Nike, and they need to find a way to fix it. And I don't know that they have the stones to do it. All right, we got a fun show today. A few different theses across football and basketball. We have an announcement to explain more of at the end, and a smaller one after that as well. You're going to make sure you're following us on Twitter for this one, but more to come this week. All right, I've done enough talking about all this. Let's dive into the theses. All right, the first thesis for this week is from the NFL, specifically the L.A. Rams. The thesis reads, the L.A. Rams are Super Bowl favorites after signing Odell Beckham Jr. I read that, I'm thinking like a B or a B plus. The Rams are really good. They were really good and got better briefly. Let's dive in. All right, so the LA Rams continue to treat NFL transactions like NBA free agency, and I love it. As their Hollywood counterparts, the Lakers and Dodgers, the Rams continue to work diligently to bring different stars back to play for Los Angeles. I say back to because so many of these guys, Beckham included, have homes in LA. This is easy money marketing, and they're doing it. This mostly works in football with the Rams because the box of misfit toys have come cheaply. The Rams traded picks for Von Miller, but the stipulation meant that Denver is still paying him. Odell Beckham was released and cleared waivers, so he's only getting $1.25 million this season. How on earth is that working out so many ways for the Rams? The top three cap pips in LA are still Matt Stafford at $20 million, Aaron Donald at $14.3, and Jalen Ramsey at $9.7. They're still getting first-team all-pro season out of Cooper Cup, for just $5 million. Their leading sack getter, Leonard Floyd, is on the books for just five and a half. On the whole, what's happening here is they're finding talent cheaper than it's worth, including guys like Odell Beckham, including guys like Vaughn Miller. I don't know how so many teams are letting the Rams get away with this. 
But the reason it's not an A, even though they're finding so much all-pro talent so cheaply, is that they're not the only team doing this. Notably, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers rely on a fairly similar system. Brady historically has taken less than his market value to allow other guys to fit in to the salary cap. The Bucs are also in the NFC. The Cowboys look to be back on track after a big win over Atlanta. Part of their secret is they have a young and overachieving defense with no player on it making more than $5.75 million. The Cardinals are getting all pro quarterback play from Kyler Murray, and they're paying him less than $10 million on his rookie contract. They're in the same division as the Rams, right? These are all teams in the NFC that would stand a chance given the situation and have a similar structure and similar reasons for success. The other reason that is not an A to me and this is really nothing more than, I'll say, bad luck or bad timing, is that within hours of signing this deal, the Rams lost their previously second leading receiver, Robert Woods. Now, Robert Woods looks like towards ACL within that same 24 hours as the Beckham deal, which does make the Beckham signing more of a plug-and-play guy. There was some initial speculation as to how difficult it could be to fit him in as a third option, given that the Rams got rid of like Deshaun Jackson, right? Like that's that's typically a harder spot to make a receiver feel happy about. And I guess theoretically that may make this easier. But what I think is interesting is really the way Beckham runs routes pairs really well with Matt Stafford. You remember Stafford and Megatron and all the fade routes that Megatron did? Obviously a very different receiver considering that Beckham's all of like 5'11", and that's being generous. But Beckham is also a fade routes guy. Beckham runs two routes in the NFL. It's fades and slants. And those are both things that Stafford is really money on. Robert Woods ran a little bit different types of routes as a pass catcher. For the most part, he was much more of a outs and corners and those kinds of things, which paired well with all the stuff that Cooper Cup does underneath. But what I think is similar enough about Woods and Beckham and that I think a guy like McVay can work with is... Both of them operate on things like sweeps and screens very, very well. Just getting the ball and turning it into a run play. They're both a really big, strong leg type guys. And I think that does create some plug and play type of scenarios for Beckham. The other thing here is that as good as Beckham is, Beckham could be as good as a single catch from the Monday night game or whatever it was against Dallas every single play, and he won't be as good as Cooper Cup has been this year. And that, to me, really really means that this is set up to work because Cooper Cup will take away a lot of the coverage. And Beckham hasn't been single covered while he's on the field in a long, long time. And so that really ought to open him up for whatever kinds of things he wants to do. I still think he's best on the slant and the fade, but I'm interested to see what kinds of things he's running opposite side of Cup. And if that changes up his route tree, because that may be more long-term viable for him because he's trying to get that next big job once again reinvent himself in LA have a shot at Super Bowl and so on the Rams are one of a number of different teams that really could win this whole thing really could go out and win the Super Bowl but the Beckham move really only moved the needle a little bit and then it frankly kind of probably came back to even once the Robert Woods news had come out he still needs to clear and occupy defense the way he has in the past and without Woods that just opens up Cooper Cup kind of as it used to be not in a different way and so I, I'm going to stick with the B plus on this one all right 
Our second thesis reads, taunting penalties are ruining football. This gets an A-, and frankly, is just, just shy of an A+. Let's break it down. Listen, the taunting rules are awful. I mean, like, awful, awful. I can't watch football on Sunday without thinking about how bad they are. Awful. At the end of the day, the NFL is supposed to be an entertainment enterprise. Each week, fans tune in to be entertained. Why else would anyone want to suffer through an extra 10 minutes of Steelers and Lions on Sunday? That game was atrociously played, but with four turnovers in overtime and a handful of bad snaps, inexplicable miscues, we're all extra entertained. Let's also not get too, too serious with this game. It's a game. It's fun. If you have fun and hit a full body flex after play, show off some dance moves, or cheer along with the crowd in the direction you're facing shouldn't be a big deal. That shouldn't be some determining factor to the outcome of said game. This question really gets raised after last week's Monday Night Football game where Chicago's Cassius March was penalized late in the game after a big sack just under the four-minute mark. His celebration, which was a full-body flex of sorts, was apparently too much, quote, posturing. Marsh has since been fined by the NFL to double down on this dance. Here's the deal. At some level, these guys are putting their well-being on the line for our entertainment. The NFL is violent. It's extremely violent. It's as violent as any team sport in America can be. It's also a show. I'm not advocating for like personal attacks. I'm not saying there isn't some line that could potentially get crossed at some point. But things like Cam Newton telling the world and the crowd he's back after scoring a touchdown on his first play in a Carolina uniform after a little while off makes the game more entertaining. Sure, did Atlanta and non-Panther fans have mixed feelings about Cam? Did the Steel Curtain and all of their fans take issue with the sack dance that Marsh had the other day? Sure. But come on. The thing is that those fan bases took issue with is really the things like letting Cam Newton in the end zone or allowing that really big sack. The insult to injury ratio there from some celebration afterwards is fairly minimal. It's really not what upsets people. The play before the celebration is what's upsetting fans, not the celebration itself. And here's the other thing. In a league that is consciously about growing at all times, Carolina fans and Cam Newton fans loved what Cam did. Chicago and Bears fans loved what Marsh did. Fans of the team celebrating reenacted. They talk about it for the next week at the water cooler. The kids go home and talk about how funny it was when such and such happened. They copy on the recess playground. It's what people take away from the game. It's part of the entertainment value. It's part of what we like watching. The only reason this isn't an outright A+, frankly, is that it'd be hard to ruin football currently. Like, is this a problem right now? Yes. Is this a problem I'm going to sit here and talk about for a few minutes? Absolutely. Is it a problem that every analyst is talking about every Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, following big, important games? Absolutely. Is it making any of us not watch football? Like, be honest with yourself. Is this issue and taking away the taunting making me not watch? Currently, no. Currently, it's not at up to that set of standards. It is making me complain and put me in a negative place during the game because I'm upset about it. I'm like, why is this happening? Why is this? A, why are you flagging that? Why are you deterring this? Why aren't you 
promoting the idea of guys having fun playing this game we all love. But it's not making me turn it off. So while those negative feelings and making me talk negatively about the league is probably, a sin, in a sense, ruining the league, it's not ruining it to the extent that I'm not watching it. So ruin may be too far, and that's why I'm not an A+. But man, it certainly feels weird that every single football week we're talking about some dumb penalty, if not more, having to do with things like flexing, things like dances, things like talking to the crowd. I could point out that things like Aaron Rodgers saying, I own you, City of Chicago, did not draw some major penalty and did not upset a whole lot of people in the same way that Cam Newton saying, I'm back, did. I don't know if people are ready for that conversation. That may be a later thesis. Check back into the pod to see. But I will say that these taunting penalties have gotten ridiculous. This thesis is an A- because while I have not turned it off, it has put me in a very different headspace while I'm watching it. Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we, we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Our third thesis of the day jumps into basketball. The thesis reads, the Cleveland Cavaliers are a playoff team. Wait, let me double check. Yes, the Cleveland Cavaliers without LeBron James on them are a playoff team. I'm going to give that thesis a B minus. Let's break it down. Listen, the Cavaliers are good. Evan Mobley is the truth. That was a great pick. It looks like that's the right move. Colin Sexton, though he just got hurt, can really, really go. He can orchestrate an offense that scores with the best of them. Down low, Jarrett Allen is a force. He deters shots, deflects shots, discourages shots, and rebounds at a high, high clip. Cleveland could figure this out. And truthfully, if this exact same roster was playing for the exact same coach even in a city not called Cleveland, this probably feels like a no-brainer this early. Cleveland's 9-5. and They've won six of the last seven. They're scoring by committee. You can't really cue in on any one guy. The Cavs look really really good. And here's what they do so well. Cleveland is doing a great job of slowing the game down. 
They're second in defensive points per game in large part because they played at the third slowest pace in the entire NBA. At a time when all of these leagues are trying to space and pace and speed the game up and go, go, go and 3-3-3 and space it out and get dunks and so on, the Cavaliers are slowing it down. They're going opposite. They're flipping the pendulum back. They slow teams down because they grind out on defense with their size. They use their length to make opponents uncomfortable. And if you're only looking for things like open threes, it's going to take a long time to find those against the Cavaliers. The Cavs consistently play three guys over six foot eleven, a couple different six five plus wings, and I guess Garland and Sexton are just six one. They're tough and strong. They really get to be aggressive and get up in your grill on defense on the perimeter because they know if you get behind them, they have the wall of Mobley, Markinen, and Allen back there ready to get in your path. That's a big, big deal. That's one of the reasons their defense is so stout. And I'm telling you, that's what makes this team potentially for real. But this is a B minus and not an A, and here's why. It's still early. As of the recording of this, it is still almost two full weeks until Thanksgiving. A lot of guys would say that the NBA season doesn't really start until Christmas, and that's not for another month. Now, that's not to say they're not playing well. That is to say that things can change dramatically, and they're playing really, really well right now, but that doesn't mean things always carry over. Do I like Okoro? Yeah. Do I think that Darius Garland looks like pretty good replacement for running the offense while Sexton is on the IR? Absolutely. Does that mean I think they're a playoff team out of the East? The East is tough. You've got Brooklyn, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Maybe Kyrie Irving gets the jab and comes back. Who knows? I'm not betting on that. But anyway, Brooklyn looks to be for real. Atlanta was just in the Eastern Conference Finals. Trey Young is the real deal. They've got Clint Capella back there. They got John Collins back there. They're also very talented. Other team with a big guy is coming off of a championship season in Milwaukee with Giannis, right? Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis Antetokounmpo are back, and they're going to be fine. I understand they had a couple losses like P.J. Tucker, but the core of that team is there. They're still really good. Chicago, the Chicago Bulls are really, really good this year, right? Vucevic expands that offense to a different dimension because of the way he plays inside and outside and is a distributor. DeMar DeRozan has found a three-point game. Where did that come from? You got Lonzo Ball flipping full court lobs to Zach Levine. Like, this team is really, really good in Chicago. What about the New York Knickerbockers, right? The Knicks are back, and they're doing just as well as they did a year ago. The Thibs defense is working. Julius Randle is still playing the same efficient clip he was a year ago. They got Derrick Rose coming off the bench playing the six-man-of-the-year type award. The New York Knicks are even better than a year ago. Will they get as many wins? Who knows? The East is so good. You also have even the Washington Wizards. The Washington Wizards dump out Russell Westbrook for some auxiliary pieces, some role players, and it looks like it works better than Russell Westbrook did. I mean, you've got the city of D.C. praising Cal Kuzma. Like, what is happening in Washington is crazy, but that also means those are all playoff spots. Brooklyn, Atlanta, Milwaukee, Miami, Chicago, New York, Washington. That's seven right there. I hadn't even mentioned if something happens and, like, Indiana with Sabonis and Turner figures it out or what would happen if Philadelphia 
We didn't mention Philadelphia because we don't know what's going to come back in an eventual Ben Simmons trade, but like that could propel them into a top whatever seed as well. At the end of the day, this is not the Eastern Conference of the Ots, where there's one or two good teams and a bunch of bad teams. This is a tough, tough, tough Eastern Conference. We didn't even mention my pick to win the whole thing to start the year in the Miami Heat with all of their additions and Jim VP Butler and Bam the Man Adebayo and a dog PJ Tucker and Kyle Lowry and all those guys they got down in South Beach. I mean, Tyler Hero looks like Tyler Hero from the bubble. Duncan Robinson had a rough like start to the season and still seventh in three pointers made this year. I mean, the Heat are for real too. I just I keep going on and on and on. The East is tough, and that's a shame for Cleveland because they got a good basketball team. And in the East of a few years back, they might have been okay. But right now they're fighting with like Toronto for a 10 seed. And that's just the way the East is. And could they fight for that 10 seed and win the play and get in at the 8 seed? Absolutely. They've got a talented team. I just think that it's really tough to make the playoffs in the East this year. Even though more than half the teams in the NBA make it, I think it's just going to be that kind of tough. So I'm giving it a B-. Wouldn't be surprised. But I'm also not going to Vegas put a bunch of money on it. All right. Staying with the NBA and, frankly, going closer to home on this one. Thesis 4 reads... What the Houston Rockets are doing with John Wall is wrong. For those who don't know, we'll dive into more in a minute, but as a Rockets fan in my heart, I'm going to give this a C. All right, so let's dive in for a second. The Houston Rockets, for the folks at home that have not been following along, are actually currently paying John Wall over $40 million dollars to not play. John Wall is dressing in street clothes every game. He's showing up to practice as a mentor and coaching role type of guy. And the Rockets are supposedly in talks behind the scenes to get him to a team he would like to go to, to find someone with mutual interest. Now, when the Houston Rockets committed to this over the summer, it didn't raise too, too many eyebrows. I think people thought there'd be an eventual buyout. It does not look like Buying out the last two years and 90 plus million dollars is going to happen anytime soon. And suddenly that's a problem. It's really become a bigger problem too when people are looking at what the Sixers are doing with Ben Simmons. And everyone's freaking out at Ben Simmons for not wanting to come play for that franchise because of the directions that they're both going, Ben and the franchise that are. And looking at what's happening in Houston, looking like, well, they're going to find Ben for not playing, but Houston has decided they're moving on from their guard as well, and they're not. no one's finding them. How can both of these things be okay? And they're making this weird comparison, and I don't think the situations are that comparable. First of all, there's no indicator that if the Houston Rockets wanted to suit up John Wall, he wouldn't. There's been no clear-cut answer that this has been instigated by Wall. It very clearly, though, has been reiterated as part of the plan and part of the process from one Rafael Stone, the GM of the Houston Rockets. Now, with that said, I gave this a C because I do see both sides. On the one hand, Houston has too many guards. That's not to say they have a bunch of guards to win a bunch of games. As we sit here recording, they are 1-12, in 12, right? It's not like they have a bunch of high-level, high-caliber guards, but they do want to develop their younger guards. 
They want to play Jalen Green. They want to develop Kevin Porter Jr. into a point guard. They want to get guys like Armani Brooks on the floor to get looks. They want to get guys like Josh Christopher on the floor to attack. Playing John Wall would necessitate taking away some of those minutes. Minutes are finite. That's just the way sports works. Not everyone would get to play. And so this does make it a little bit easier on a developmental rotation. This does make it a little bit easier for John Wall to not have to worry about competing with those guys he's mentoring for minutes, right? Because frankly, he can speak to Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. at a level that most people can't, right? Wall and Porter Jr. both came from extremely difficult backgrounds at opposite ends of the country, right? Up in Seattle and down in North Carolina, but they both had very, very difficult upbringings and can relate to being score first point guards with that kind of chip on their shoulder. At the same time, John Wall and Jalen Green can relate because they're a different type of, I mean, when John Wall was healthy, I should say, they're both different type of athlete than anyone else can relate to. No one else can understand what it's like to be on the floor with some of the most elite athletes in the world and still know at any point you can burst by a person. You're that athletic that you can get by the fastest people in the world on a basketball floor. John Wall can help Jalen Green grow his game with that skill set. And so I think that that's an important piece of what his role is. But also, he would be better. The Rockets would be better with John Wall on the floor. They might be, you know, 3-10. and 10. I'm not saying they'd be playoff team better, but they're currently 1-12. and 12. They would have multiple. They would not be down to just the one win over the Oklahoma City Thunder at this point, right? They'd have a couple of more wins. His presence and leadership would steer the ship in a better direction. And so I get torn on the two sides of this because it's very clearly a move that a team that is not trying to win is doing. And their record reflects that. Their other roster moves reflect that. I'd even argue to some degree their rotations reflect that. If you read my Rockets roundups, you've seen I've been hinting several times. It looks almost like someone is telling Steven Silas he has to play Eric Gordon and Daniel House extra minutes because it that's the only way you can explain their time spent in the rotation it's not that those two guys can't help and especially gordon i mean there's there's been moments where house looks like the same g league house from a couple years back but gordon has had flashes of of decent basketball the deal is is that if you're going to lose the games you might as well play the young guys and silas it appears is playing those guys in weird lineups but it's a moment in the game where gordon can star or house can star and it really just, it has to be some way to try and booster their trade value. I don't understand why else it would be happening. I've alluded to that a couple times in Rockets Roundup, so you can go back and read those on bellysports.com for a little bit more. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But what I will say is that I can't sit here and advocate for intentionally losing games, and that seems like what part of the effect of this John Wall thing is. So that brings me down to a C. But the reason I'm at a C and not an F is that the mentorship and all of those elements do make sense to me. It's not as cut and dry an issue as things like what's happening in Philadelphia. With Philadelphia and Ben Simmons, what they've got going on is they've upset this guy, right? They have burnt that bridge just like he burnt that bridge. And you can argue about what side the fire started on, but neither side tried to fix it. Like it's at this point, that thing's gone. And I think that makes that different because there is no indication that if Houston said, hey, John, we need to start suiting up, that he wouldn't, right? There's been no animosity there from John Wall or from 
Rafael Stone or from the Houston Rockets. Stone and Wall appear, if anything, to kind of be boys. But they kind of be seen to be tight. And I think that's because Wall was the first big move of Stones. And they feel some kind of relationship about being in this new rebuilt Rockets team together. I'm sure if the 2026 Rockets won a championship on the back of Jalen Green and Kevin Porter and rah, 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 and all those fun things, they'd send him a ceremonial championship ring. I mean, he is a part of rebuilding this franchise and is serving in a different way. And that type of relationship is not happening with Ben Simmons. There is no amicable aspect of what's happening with Ben Simmons in Philadelphia. And I think that's a key and important difference. And it's why I'm at a C and not an F. But again, I'm also not at an A. All right, so we're going to use our last segment here to talk a little bit about what we've got going on with my bookie. For folks paying attention at home, last week we had a midweek episode drop. It was about, I think it was like 13 minutes long. Not super, super long. It was just what we're calling a midterm. Our sponsor for those midterms is my bookie. Yes, my bookie, the betting site online, Duffy Track, all of your gambling needs. Now, my bookie sought us out as a sponsorship, and this worked really well because of the support we get from you guys. So, more support from you guys now means more show from us. More is always better. So, once a week, you'll get a full length episode. That'll be Monday or Tuesday mornings, depending on the week. And in a second time each week, you get a shorter snippet episode, a thesis, a couple multiple choice questions, something shorter, sponsored by MyBookie. Not that we won't plug MyBookie throughout the week, not that we won't be able to plug MyBookie on our Twitter page and Instagram and so on, but one episode every week is exclusively from MyBookie. That's more episodes for y'all because more is always better. That's why my bookie will always instantly double any first-time deposit. Double the funds, you can double your action, and more importantly, double your wins. Getting in the action has never been easier. You can bet with all your favorite currencies, including cryptocurrencies, and with all the extra scratch, why not get on the biggest matchups of the week at my bookie? Don't wait. Head to my bookie today to redeem your double deposit bonus so you can get on the game and start winning. Use our promo code F in sports that's f-i-n-s-p-o-r-t-s to receive double your first deposit instantly that's promo code f in sports so you can double your funds and double your winnings we're really really excited about what we got going on my bookie we're really really excited to be able to give you guys a second episode every week even if it's a special shorter midterm episode with that said that's not the only big announcement of the show right now after we passed 3,000 followers on twitter we decided to have a special little giveaway. So this week, we're going to give some handful of lucky listeners a special FN Sports ugly sweater slash flunk hunger package from our merch store. That's right. If you are following us on Twitter, pay attention this week. Go ahead and turn the alerts on and get ready for a special giveaway. All you'll have to do to enter will be to reply to a tweet with a screenshot of you being subscribed to the show, and we'll pick a handful of lucky listeners to get a free package with a ugly sweater-themed shirt, a ugly sweater-themed mug, and a Flunk Hunger-themed shirt as well. All that can come your way if you are subscribing to the show and are paying attention on Twitter this week. It'll be in your hands 
just before December, so you'll get it first in line before anyone else. So make sure that you subscribe to us on all of your listening platforms. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, at FNSports2 on Twitter. Go ahead and turn those alerts on. Get ready for a giveaway this week. We're excited about all the new stuff we're able to give you guys. We're excited about the new spots with my bookie. We're excited about all of this, and I can't wait to see it unfold. Thank you all for your support. None of this is happening without that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And that, my friends, is the latest updates on both FN Sports and my bookie and our merch store. Friends, that is another edition of FN Sports. Do you feel like a little more up-to-date on football, or at least with what's going on at the start of the basketball season? If you miss the hoop stock or want more of it, you're in luck. We'll have another episode of the Midweek Midrange this Wednesday night. You can find us on YouTube or on Instagram and Twitter at Midweek Midrange. As for me and my personal stuff, which includes various podcasting, writing, and general nonsense, that can all be found at Painsworth512 on Twitter and Instagram. That's at P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram. I had a couple of wins on sneakers lately. I did get the 12s. I did get the black and green 3s. I did not get the off-white 2s. No one got the off-white 2s. Don't tell me you got the off-white 2s. I know you'll be lying about getting the off-white 2s. If you want to see what I'm talking about more, you can go to my special Twitter at Painsworth512 on Twitter and Instagram. I also post all the things I'm doing, including like Last week, I previewed the Gonzaga versus Texas basketball game with the Locked on Zags podcast. I'll post all that stuff fairly regularly on Twitter. And if you're scrolling my Twitter and you see me sad about the Houston Rockets, just keep scrolling. It doesn't get better. And this show is also on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, we're growing. We're at FN Sports 2. That's at F-I-N-S-B-O-R-T-S, number two, all one word you can find us on instagram at f underscore n underscore sports that's at f underscore n underscore sports and we have merch use the links in our social media handles to access our merch store we have a student design t-shirt a couple of classics we're doing a charitable shirt each month we had pink for breast cancer awareness we had blue and flunk shaving for no shave november slash movember in fact as i'm sitting here i'm wearing my movember t-shirt as we speak it's comfortable it's fun it's got a great design on the back so be sure to check that out we'll have a special one coming up for december as well the month of giving so be on the lookout for that and if you sped through the show and missed it, I'm going to go ahead and tell you one time to be paying attention to our Twitter this week for more on that merch. Be sure to like, subscribe, rate, review, and all the wonderful things that help out the podcast. And whatever you do, please remember, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Later, guys.